Yeah. And let's just uh, pray that we might hear the word of God in this moment. Father, we thank you for your word. May it be living and active among us. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in John chapter 15. We continue in this series, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? My wife, she grew up in the great capital of Brazil, southern Brazil. If you go to the city where she grew up, you will see vineyards on the hillsides. It's a beautiful scene. You can walk under the vines and uh, there will be large clusters of grapes of many different varieties. Picturesque. What do we know about vineyards? Well, I have a lot to learn about vineyards. One thing that I have learned is that grapevines, they prefer temperate latitudes between 30 and 50 degrees. They prefer an annual mean temperature of somewhere between 10 and 20 degrees Celsius. They grow best alongside uh, lakes and, and rivers. The, the water protects them against the drastic changes in temperature. Grapevines, they need about 1,300 to 1,500 hours of sunshine during the growing season. They also appreciate about 27 inches of rainfall during the year. The optimum weather for them, during, especially during the growing season, is a long, warm summer that allows the grapes to fully ripen and to maintain the balance between the acids and the sugars. They prefer a hillside rather than level terrain because on a slope or on a hillside, then the sun rays will hit the vine at an angle. And so the, the vine and the grapes, they'll receive the full impact of the sun rays. So positioning is critical for a grapevine. You can understand why we have vineyards in the Okanagan Valley alongside those lakes. Not only is positioning critical, but care is critical. Grapevines, they need a gardener or a vine dresser that will prune them, that will fertilize them, irrigate them if the water levels are low, monitor disease, decide when to harvest. So positioning is critical, as is care. In the Old Testament, God uses the vineyard as a, as a picture of his people. In fact, Israel understood itself to be the vineyard of the Lord. If you had gone to the temple in Jerusalem, then you would have seen engravings of grapes and vines. There, were, there was a sculpted vine, for example, around some of the pillars. So Israel had this self-understanding. We are the vineyard of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 5, the Lord sings a song to his vineyard. And what he sings is that he placed his vineyard, Israel, on a very fertile hill. It was well positioned. He cleared the stones. He planted the choicest of vines. And he loved that vineyard with an, an eternal, a covenant love. He wanted that vineyard to produce fruit. It was well cared for. He built a watchtower. He hewed out a wine vat. And he waited for the grapes. In that song in Isaiah chapter 5, the Lord asks, What more could I have done for my vineyard? I redeemed Israel from Egypt. I gave her a blessed land where there was sun, where there was enough rain. 
I drove out her enemies, protected her. I revealed my will to her through the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also through Moses, through the law, through the temple, through the feast, through the sacrifices. In every way, I was revealing myself to my vineyard, Israel. When, when Israel strayed, I sent my prophets to them. I warned them, pruned them. My vineyard was so well positioned to be that prosperous, fruit-bearing vineyard. God had chosen Israel to bear fruit. He wanted Israel to know him, to love him, to understand what it would mean to be the people of God. They were to be this model nation for all the peoples of the earth. People around the earth were to look at Israel, the vineyard, and say, oh, that was, that's what it means to be a lush, fruit-bearing vineyard. But they yielded only wild grapes. God sent his word, but they said no. God wanted them to know him. He wanted them to be a just and righteous people. But when they received the word of God, they said no. God went to the vineyard to find lush grapes. He looked for the fruit of justice and righteousness. But what he found was arrogance and corruption and injustice and hypocrisy and greed And so in Isaiah chapter 5, God speaks forth six woes of judgment. He says, I will remove the hedge of protection. I will no longer care for the branches. I will no longer prune them. The rain will no longer fall on this land. I will remove my hand of favor, and Israel will become a desert. God speaks forth that word through the prophet Isaiah as we open the sixth chapter of Isaiah, the king, King Uzziah, he dies. And it appears that the prophet enters a bit of a crisis. Remember that God often reveals himself to us in the moment of trouble. And so there is Isaiah. The king has just died. And Isaiah, he receives a vision of the Lord, a vision of God's holiness, the glory of God filling the earth. And Isaiah speaks forth the seventh Woe, chapter 6, verse 5 of Isaiah. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, he's overwhelmed. He's broken. And in that moment of brokenness, God reveals himself to him. He receives a fresh vision of who God is. And out of that vision comes a call to be a servant, a prophet who speaks forth the word to Israel. In today's text, John chapter 15, Jesus is with his disciples. These words that we will read, we find them right at the heart of the farewell discourse, chapters 14 to 17 of John. Jesus and the disciples, they're aware of the mounting religious opposition. The Jewish council is planning to put the Son of God to death. Jesus has told his disciples that one of them will betray him. The disciples are troubled. They're distraught. They're shaken. Jesus has told them that he's going to prepare a place for them, and where he is going, they cannot go. And so the question that remains for them is, 
how will we live without Jesus? How do we live in the absence of Jesus? Jesus has already revealed himself in many ways to the disciples through signs, through words. He's spoken forth six I am statements already in John. Not six woes, but six I am statements. The first four, they speak of the life that Jesus offers to his disciples. The first one, I am the bread of life. The second, I am the light of the world, the light of life. If you're looking for light, light, look to me. I'm the door to life. I'm the good shepherd that can lead you to abundant life. And then the, with the fifth, there's a bit of a shift. He says, I not only can direct you to light, life, I am the resurrection and the life. I am life. I, Jesus, I am life. And then with the sixth statement, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to see the Father, look to me. If you want a vision of God, then look right at me. And then in chapter 15, he speaks forth the seventh I am. And this I am, it reveals something about who Jesus is and how he desires to relate to his disciples. Let's read it. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. These verses are what is called an extended metaphor, a picture of Jesus and his relationship with the disciples. Of course, the true vine in these verses is Jesus. And the vine dresser, the gardener, is the father. The branches are the disciples of Jesus. Jesus is the true vine of God in contrast to Israel. He is the true vine of God whose fruit will fill the earth. If you want to be a part of God's people, you need to be in the vine. All of the divine blessings flow through Jesus. If you want to be a recipient of the promises of God, you need to be in the true vine, Jesus. In Isaiah's song, chapter 5 of Isaiah, the vine dresser, the gardener, is the father. In John chapter 15, again, the vine dresser is the father. Now, how is it that the disciples of Jesus will be any different from Old Testament Israel? John chapter 15 talks about two things that the father does. He removes unfruitful branches and he prunes all the others. So let's talk about pruning for a moment. 
When the plant, the vine, is dormant in the winter, the vine dresser comes along and he cuts off the dry and withered branches. He does that to ensure the quality of the fruit. Otherwise, during the following growing season, there will be too many clusters of fruit, too many vines, and there will be a yield of poor grapes. Just not enough life to nourish the grapes that are being produced. If a vine is weak, then the vine dresser will come along and prune it. And in that year, in that growing season, it will yield, yes, less fruit. But in the following growing season, it will be stronger and yield more. In the spring, when the leaves are coming out and there are smaller shoots, again, the vine dresser will come along and cut off those smaller shoots so that the remaining vines will receive nourishment from the roots and produce healthy fruit. Pruning is essential to long-range healthy fruit. Notice that the fruitful vines are pruned. Notice that no branch escapes the knife of the vine dresser. True disciples are pruned by the Father so that they will bear more fruit. In verses 2 and and 3, Jesus uses the word prune and the word clean. Those two words that look so different in English, they actually come from the same root. What Jesus is saying in these verses is that his disciples that are in him, they are cleansed through his word. Remember, Jesus was the living word. He was the word made flesh. His disciples, they hung out with him. They observed him. They heard his words. They observed his actions. And so the disciples that were in communion with him, they were cleansed by the word of Christ, by living in his presence. Why does the Father prune branches? I believe the pruning can be likened to what we read about in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The pruning procedure is painful. It always is. But if we are being pruned, it means that the Father actually cares, that he loves us, that we are sons and daughters. Pruning is evidence that we are God's children. You see, God has a vision for what we are to become. He has designed us and he knows the good works that he has created us for. And so if we're not growing in our knowledge of him, if our relationship with him is not becoming more intimate, if our love for him is not growing, if the love of God is not flowing through us in the direction of others, then out of love the Father will prune us. So if you are a true disciple of Jesus, pruning should be expected. Don't be surprised by the pruning. Pruning should be expected. How does the pruning happen? 
In the farewell discourse, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit speaking to his disciples. And so often the Holy Spirit will just convict us of sin, of righteousness and judgment, Jesus says. Sometimes the pruning will come through the wise counsel of friends, good friends that speak the truth to us. Sometimes the pruning comes through circumstances that just make us stop and take note. It may be an illness, it may be financial difficulty, it may be relational tension. Something happens in our life that makes us stop and look to Jesus. Seven years ago, I was living at a, at a fast pace, living in a fairly unhealthy way. But I truly believed that I had no time to stop. Bearing some fruit, but probably not as much as I could have. In January 2010, God stopped me in my tracks. I discovered that in my body, I had a combination of parasites and allergies. Now, the thing about parasites and allergies is that you can't put them over here and just say, okay, I'll leave you there. I'm going to walk over here now. Come back to you later. They're right in you. You have to face them. You have to deal with them. As I faced what was happening to me, God spoke to me about the way that I was using time, the way that I was relating to those closest to me. And as I reflected on that, I realized that my wife, my children, the people that I worked with, everybody served to get work done. Isn't it interesting how we can live close to people and not actually see them? We become familiar with the people around us. We no longer see them. We no longer love them for who they truly are. And so I had to confess to the Lord and to those who were close to me that my heart was distant and I needed to change. I had to repent before my wife, before my children, before work colleagues, before more people than I wanted to, <laughs> that I was in error. It was painful. The scriptures would say, if you're being pruned, rejoice. It's a sign that God loves you. It's a sign that God cares. He wants to experience, you to experience fullness of joy. God was stripping away interests. He was stripping away patterns of behavior that would eventually destroy me and harm those around me. But the key lesson was in chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One of the lies that we sometimes tell ourselves is that our lives, the lives of those close to us, ministries, work, whatever it is that we're involved in, it actually depends on us. We are the vine. I am the vine. 
for my family. I am the vine for my son. I am the vine for my daughter. I am the vine for this business or for this church. I put myself in the place of the vine and we begin to think that it depends on me. And if I go down, it all falls apart. You and I were never meant to be the vine. You are not the vine. I am not the vine. We're branches. We're called to abide in Jesus. The key to life, to healing, to bearing fruit, it's found in abiding in Jesus. Now, what does it mean to abide? Jesus has in mind this this vital organic connection with him, this mutual indwelling. He talks about being in us, us in him. This mutual indwelling in the spirit, the spirit abiding in us, alive within us. Chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So to abide means to remain in Jesus. The word actually means to stay for a long time, to hang out with Jesus. Means to be rooted in him, grounded in him. We're absorbing Jesus personally, dwelling in the word daily. We're resting in his word, trusting in his word. The pulsating life of the vine flowing through us, the Holy Spirit living through us and producing fruit. Sometimes I find myself focusing on the fruit. So if this arm of mine is a branch, I look at the fruit and I say, oh, I want to produce the fruit of the Spirit. I want to produce love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and some self-control would be really good. So fruit, I want to see fruit. I want to see stuff happening in my life. I want to see a visible ministry that's bearing fruit. But what Jesus calls us to do is to turn our eyes back to him, to the vine. To abide in him. Not be focused on the fruit, but abide in him. You see, if we are true disciples of Jesus, then positioning is critical. Positioning is critical. The invitation of this seventh I am is to rest in Jesus, to position ourselves in him, to be in this living dynamic union with Jesus and allow his life to flow through us. So where did you abide this week? Where did I abide? Sometimes we find ourselves abiding in work. Do you find yourself abiding in work sometimes? Like that's where we actually rest. That's where we're invested. That's what we trust in. That's what consumes our energy, our passion. Sometimes we abide in our studies. We're students and that's where we abide, in a cubicle, studying. Sometimes we abide in a relationship. Here in North America, this isn't common around the world, but in North America, you'll see boyfriends and girlfriends kind of hanging on each other, right? And sometimes when we come from another part of the world, that actually looks really uncomfortable. But that's the way people behave here. 
One thing that's obvious is that they want to be together. There's passion. And perhaps that is a good image of what what our relationship with Jesus should look like. There's a desire to be together, to abide in Jesus. That's where our passions, our energy is focused. Where did we abide this week? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, by God's common grace, if God permits us to live, we will walk out of here. And it's possible for us to do many, many different things this week. But if we're not abiding in Jesus, then nothing of eternal value will be produced. There will be no fruit that remains. It may appear that we're very active in producing many things, but nothing of eternal value will be produced. Speaking of an unfruitful life, did you notice the dead branches, those that were cut off? In chapter 2, sorry, verse 2, you see the words take away, the branches are taken away. And some would say, well, those words can be translated lift up. And it's true, they can be. Some commentators would say, well, those branches, they're just on the ground. What needs to happen is, you know, they're on the ground, they're not producing fruit, so the vine dresser, he needs to come along and lift them up. And if they're lifted up, if they're cared for, if they're supported, then they will produce fruit. And that's an interesting reading, but the language and the context doesn't permit that translation. If you look down at verse 6, these branches that are cut off, they're gathered and they're burned. And that's an image of judgment. So you might ask the question, well, those branches, were they true believers? Did they ever truly follow Jesus? The focus in this text is on the relationship between Jesus and true disciples. John, in his gospel, he distinguishes between believers and true disciples, true disciples that actually receive the word of Christ and abide in it. For example, John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you're a true disciple, then when you hear the word of Christ, it actually finds a home in your heart. It lands and it remains. It changes the way that you think, the way that you live. In Revelation chapter 3, again, God gave the book of Revelation to John, the same author of the gospel of John. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus talks about the lukewarm those that are neither hot nor cold. And what does he do? He spits them out. You see, belief in Jesus is never enough. A nominal belief in Jesus is not what it's about. Hanging out in the church is not what it's about. James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? You see, if we just believe, then I believe that Jesus would say to us what the Lord said to Old Testament Israel, woe to you. 
It's not just about believing or praying a prayer. In John chapter 15, verse 6, Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Fire, it's a common Jewish symbol for divine judgment. A good example of a person that was around the community of faith, around the community of disciples, around Jesus is Judas Iscariot. See, he walked with Jesus for years. He heard the teaching, but it never landed in his heart. He never truly belonged to Jesus in the community of disciples. He hung around, he spoke the language, but he was not a true disciple of Jesus. John, he talks about this kind of follower in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So if you're on the fence this morning, Jesus would say to you, get off. Trust in me. Allow my word to land in your soul. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has this wonderful picture of what a truly great life looks like. Verses 7 and 8 of chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Every true disciple that abides in Jesus just naturally bears fruit. If you abide in Jesus, then you have his heart. You delight in what he delights in. You pray the prayer that he would pray. You pray according to his character, according to his will, and he answers. He does it. Andrew Murray has written, the essential idea of fruit is that it is the silent, natural, restful produce of our inner life. The essential idea of fruit is that it is the silent, natural, restful produce of our inner life. The first fruit of our union with Jesus is just to abide in him, to know him, to love him, to rest in his presence. And if we hang out with Jesus, then something will happen. It's not us working to make the fruit of the Spirit happen. It's not us working to see people come to faith. It's the natural life of Jesus flowing through us. Jesus says, if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. It's a promise. Three times in the farewell discourse, he's talking about what life will look like when he's not around. He says, if you abide in me, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I've invited Pastor Guillermo. Pastor Guillermo is from Cuba, and uh, I just have invited him to share a testimony with us. Pastor Guillermo, God bless you. you. Share with us. Gracias, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. 
Estamos agradecidos we esta mañana this de estar aquí en la casa de Dios aprendiendo sobre el fundamento de nuestra vida. Nuestra vida es como una escalera. Like es un ascenso. En cada momento moment, vienen nuevos retos y desafíos donde vamos creciendo y vamos disfrutando de la gracia y el favor de Dios. Quiero compartir eh, en este tema tan interesante cómo permanecer en medio de los momentos difíciles, en los momentos que nadie quiere. ¿Cómo permanecer? Nosotros tuvimos la experiencia en Cuba Estuvimos pastoreando una iglesia por más de seis años. Y cuando llegamos a esa iglesia, la iglesia estaba dividida. Dos grupos. Había un conflicto de intereses. Cada uno del grupo pensaba que estaba actuando de la manera correcta. Para mi esposa y mí, fue un gran desafío. It was a great, uh, Sabíamos we saw, we thought, que en momentos como este and we at a like this, no podíamos aprovecharnos we could not take en la experiencia of the en nuestra capacidad of our ability, o en nuestras habilidades. Or our, our Entonces fuimos a la Palabra de Dios. And then we looked at the uh, word of God. La palabra de Dios. The word of God. Nos da el fundamento. Tells us, gives us the foundations. Para permanecer. To be able to abide. En los momentos difíciles. In the difficult moments. Reclamamos sus promesas. So we called out for his promises. ¿Qué vas a hacer tú? What are you going to do? Cuando llegue el momento difícil. When that difficult moment arrives. ¿Vas a dejar que tu corazón tome el control? Are you going to let your heart take control? Que las emociones gobiernen tu vida. That emotions take over your life? Eso no está bien. That's not correct. Y las consecuencias son difíciles. Are difficult. Lo mejor the best para permanecer to be able to abide en los momentos difíciles moments, hay que tomar las promesas de Dios. La palabra de Dios nos enseña en el libro de Jeremías Jeremiah, capítulo 33, 33 versículo 3. 3. Lléveselo en el corazón esta mañana. Clama a mí Call to me, y yo te responderé and I will respond, y te enseñaré and I will teach you cosas grandes great things y ocultas and hidden things que no conoces that you do not know now. para permanecer to be able to abide. en los momentos difíciles difficult moments, tenemos que tomar las promesas we de have Dios to take the promises of tenemos God. que agarrar we have to grab onto lo them, que Él nos ha dado what he has given us para permanecer in, a, in order to abide. clama a mí Call out to me. Él nos da confianza. He gives us trust. Jesús Jesus nos garantiza el éxito. The success. Somos responsables We are responsible de tomar sus promesas to take his promises y avanzar and advance para permanecer. And to be able to abide. La palabra nos enseña the word also teaches us que en un momento determinado and in a given moment, Jesús Jesus tomó la palabra took the word del Antiguo from Testamento the Old Testament, en el libro de Isaías, word, book of Isaías capítulo 56 y le enseñó and he, a los judíos the Jews, porque mi casa my house será llamada will be hall, casa de oración a house of prayer para todas las for naciones. nations. Jesús tomó esa palabra Jesus took that word, y en el libro de And in en el Evangelio de Mateo, the Gospel of Matthew, capítulo 21, 21 y versículo 13, 13, 
Jesús Jesus says, comparte la palabra he shares the word con, con la gente que estaba allí en el all templo. The that around, around Había mucha gente en el templo. There were a lot of people in the temple at that Era point. Era una mañana como esta. It was a morning like this. Pero había algo que no estaba bien. But there was something that was not right. Y es que la gente iba al templo. And that was that the people were coming to the temple para hacer negocios. They were doing business. Y Jesús le dijo, And Jesus says to them, mi casa, my house, será llamada, will be called, casa de oración, prayer, para todas las naciones. For all nations. Nosotros como creyentes, we as believers, tenemos acciones, we have actions, en nuestro diario desafío, in every, in every challenge that we face, que tomar, and we have decisions to tenemos make. que tomar la alabanza, I have to take la adoración, I have to take worship, como lo hicieron nuestros hermanos, like we did this morning, un tiempo maravilloso, a beautiful time. Tenemos que aprender we have to learn y tomar la palabra and take the word que el pastor that the word pastor is giving us that he's sharing this morning para mostrarnos el camino to show us the path la dirección en esta vida direction for our lives pero igual que la iglesia en Cuba but the same as the church in Cuba dividida, when we were living that difficult time momentos difíciles and going through trials y nos fuimos a la oración and we went to the house la iglesia of God. En Cuba and the church of Cuba became en medio de los momentos difíciles, in the midst of those difficult moments en una casa de oración. in a house of prayer. Y creo perfectamente and we understood perfectly esta iglesia en Vancouver that I, this church in Vancouver right here un gran desafío do you have the challenge as well este for this time convertirse becoming en una casa de oración. in a house of prayer. La gente de Vancouver, the people of Vancouver, millones de personas, millions of people, que están cerca de ti, who are around you here, necesitan de esta they iglesia. Need this. Ellos necesitan de ti. They need you. Toma el desafío. Take the challenge. Involucrémonos. And let's become. Unámonos. Let's join together. En los diferentes grupos. In the different groups. En la unidad. In unity. Y esa unidad. And that unity. Se alcanza. That's reached en la oración, in prayer, en la presencia de in Dios. the presence of God. Te garantiza victoria. I guarantee you victory. Toma el desafío, Take the challenge en esta mañana, in this morning de permanecer en Jesús, to abide in Jesus en la oración, in prayer en sus promesas, in His promises en la unidad de su pueblo. and the unity of His body. Dios te bendiga. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. We uh, thank you, Pastor Guillermo. We all face difficulties. Sometimes it's in our personal life. Sometimes it's in the family, at work, the city, the nation. I find that quite often when, I, when I'm in the midst of some difficulty, I have a tendency to take my eyes off Jesus and think that it's all wrong. Do you ever experience that? I don't understand that the Lord is actually in the midst of that difficulty calling me to Him. It's a moment to abide. It's, it's a moment to receive a fresh vision of who Jesus is. It's a moment to discover how it is that He might use me in that circumstance. You see, when I am in Jesus, then he lifts my eyes and I see others and I see that he, his desire is to bless. So that's true for me, that's true for you. Often it's in the, in the stress of a difficult moment that we discover our calling, what it is that God has called us to. God has called each one of you to serve him. 
So this week, may we abide in Jesus. If we abide in him, then just naturally, the life of Jesus will flow through us and we will be a blessing to others. Others will be drawn to Jesus, whether they be believers or non-believers. If you are a true disciple of Jesus, production for God's glory will be inevitable. It just will happen. That's the promise of our Lord. If we are true disciples of Jesus, then producing for his glory will be inevitable. If you find yourself today being pruned, accept it, learn from it. Position yourself in Jesus, abide in him, and trust him to produce much fruit through your life for his glory. Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, we thank you again for just your goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus, for the invitation to abide in you. Lord, may we spend time in your presence today, this week, as we have this morning. May we worship you. May we read your word, abide in it, allow it to just remain with us, change us. As we pray, Lord, fill us with a fresh vision of who you are and what it is that you're calling us to. Oh, Lord, may we trust you for that fruit that only you can produce. May our love for you grow. May our love for one another grow. May our love for those around us grow. May we be servants in your hands, Lord, for your glory, we pray. And now, Lord, I just pray over my brothers and sisters the blessing of Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.